welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast, sponsored by AJF Plastering, with myself, Steve Nussbaum, and as always, my good friend, Southland chum, the bearded legend, the one and only, Daddy-O, push the Paul Levy. Thank you very much indeed, thank you. Hello everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 213, and it does seem quite some time since we were in the rhythm and flow of doing these, so... Uh, this is our season finale. Uh, we're going to round up the past season with all the highs and, unfortunately, the many lows that happened uh, in the past, what, eight months? Since uh, uh, seven months, six, well, six, and, six months and one game uh, that, uh, that, that was of this season. Uh, we're delighted to have two very special guests joining us uh, this week. And for, uh, neither needs any introduction, so we'll cut, cut straight to the chase now. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Kent T. Kent, good evening and welcome. Are you there? Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Sorry, I put myself on mute. That's all right. No worries. <laughs> good to have you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. How have you been so far in this uh, weird, weird world that we're living in at the moment? How's, how's lockdown been for you over there in Texas? Um, I... You know, I, I probably suffer from the same sorts of things that others suffer from. I, I miss seeing my friends. I miss seeing my family. I miss going out, having dinner, uh, you know, maybe having a beer with a guy, you know, a friend or something. And and so it's been tough just because I feel a little bit caged and, you know, a little bit uh, sort of claustrophobic at times, a little depressed probably, Um just because it's just it's easy to get that way. It's so monotonous. You're not even quite sure what day it is. But uh, been doing okay. I mean, I've been doing well. I'm, I'm still doing well. But I think all of us can admit that 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 it hasn't been the best of times. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been very very difficult. So tonight's all about looking back on the season that was. So to start off with the questions for you this evening. What were your views on the season? Just gone. Obviously, it finished early uh, on the eighth of March with the O's um, in eighteenth. No, sorry, seventeenth place. Um, so, are you, are you happy with where the O's finished up? Then, all things considered. Um, no, no, I wouldn't say that I'm happy with where we finished. I expected us to finish higher in the table. I am fortunate that I was at the last match uh, on, on that day in March. Um, but I had hoped that we would have finished a little bit higher. I didn't expect necessarily as the uh, season progressed that we would finish in the playoffs, but I did hope that we had finished a little bit higher in the table, maybe 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. That's interesting, very interesting. Um, I guess obviously you, you get to watch a lot of the games through the stream and, and you get to see a lot of the games or some, some of the games in, in person. Do you have a particular standout game for this season? Um, Was there a particular? It is, hard, it, is, it is hard for me not to reflect back all the way to the beginning of the season. In the first game... Um, simply because of what it meant. Uh, and that Josh Wright happened to score the goal uh, to win that day late in the match, if I remember correctly. And, 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 you know, that's probably my standout moment just because I know what it meant to him. I know what it meant to us. I know what it meant to everyone involved at Leighton Orient. Um, that's probably my standout. 
There's obviously been a lot going on as well, um, on and off the pitch. Um, I think, obviously, dealing with Justin's um, untimely passing at the start of the season, uh, obviously, uh, the club you know, didn't have anything that they could refer back to to, uh, you know, see, well, how do we deal with this? Do you think, not, you know, not ex- exclusively on that, I think the club handled it absolutely fantastically well, but do you think there's anything that the club could have done over the course of the season anything sort of better or is anything you see that there's room for improvement on at all well it's easy for me uh, to look back and think about things that we could have done better uh, and things that I wish we had done differently but I think Nigel and Danny and Martin did a fantastic job of handling uh, the Justin situation. I think the family did also a fantastic job of, of handling that situation. Um, you know, me, because maybe because I'm a little bit more disconnected or because I live in America or for whatever reason, um, I certainly would have hoped that we would have moved along a little further as a club. But I think that's a cultural difference uh, to which I tried to be very, very aware and very sensitive. So I sort of stepped back from the situation and let Nigel do his thing, which, I, again, I think he did fantastic, uh, Danny and Martin. And I think that's the right way to do it. In terms of the future, then obviously um, the Premier League and the Championship start this week. League 2 has been done, it's dusted, it's finished. In terms of future planning for Leighton Orient, what what can you do? Because at the moment, we don't have a start date for next season. The transfer window is supposed to, well, originally it was supposed to open in July, which obviously, or more likely, won't happen. So how do you take things forward now at this current moment in time? Well, there are, there are League Two playoffs, so there is a little bit left uh, to be finished. But we're not in that. Um, for me, there's a, just a lot of questions. So first question is, what happens in the National League? Are two clubs coming up? Is only one club being promoted? That, of course, impacts League Two. Does that mean that one club gets relegated? No clubs get relegated? I mean, there, you know, what's happening in League One? Who's going to come down? How's that going to work? Um You know, we kind of know who's going to get promoted in League Two except for the playoffs. We're not quite sure when the season will start, preseason will start, training will resume. Um, We don't know when fans will be allowed in the the stadium. Um, You know, there are a lot of unknowns. um, and And that's just sort of the world that we live in right now. But I guess one of the positives um, that's come out the last couple of weeks is the Harry Kane sponsorship. So you must be absolutely delighted with the way that's gone. What's that been like? How, how well has that been received in the States from what you can see? Um, I, I don't think it's had as big an impact in the States um, as certainly it has in the, in the UK. Um, we are just over the moon, I think is the way y'all say it. We are so pleased <laughs> that Harry uh, decided uh, to become re-engaged with Leighton Orient. I think that the idea that Danny had was phenomenal. Of course, Martin and others, Josh, 
Uh, I think uh, Ross was involved in it, and, and I know that Nigel was really involved in it. Um, but it is just a fantastic tribute uh, to, you know, the frontline workers during the COVID crisis. And, and you know, it's going to do charities really, really well, some charities really well. And, you know, we're just really pleased that we get to be reassociated to, you know, one of the great people and one of the great players, uh, you know, in English football. Because it's not been done before. So this is a real first, no. isn't it? No, no, it, no. We, we love doing lots of new first things, you know. Uh, you, that's just what we do as a club, right? You just never know what's going to happen at Leighton Orient. If you, if you claim it's boring, I'm not quite sure what seat you're sitting in. Um, but, you know, it's never boring at Leighton Orient. It's always dramatic, and that's how we like it. So it's all good. I think that's probably the perfect way to end um, the call this evening. So, Mr. Kentig, thank you so much for um, being involved uh, on tonight's podcast. And we hope sure. to hear from you and see you as soon as possible. Sure. Let me just say to all of our fans, you know, thank you for your response to the, uh, you know, to the to the season ticket situation. Uh, thanks so much for your belief and your patronage and everything that you're doing for the club. Let me just say this: everybody, be safe, be healthy, take care of yourself, and take care of others. But most of all, up the O's. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Stay safe. Take care. So that was Leighton Orient, Vice Chairman, live on the phone from Dallas, Texas. Thank you to Ken. So we'll carry on with the podcast. We've got Nigel Travis coming up in roughly 20 minutes. So sponsorship update. And for the last time this season, AJF Plastering, an Essex-based plastering and rendering company. They cover all aspects of domestic and commercial work, specialising in silicone colour render systems. And the best part is that they offer 15% off for all Layson Orient fans and staff. We know from Adam that lots of you have taken advantage of that 15% off offer. So if you have, you've got yourself an absolute bargain. And if you haven't, get cracking and get in contact with Adam. So you can do that by emailing Adam at ajfplastering at outlook.com or by visiting ajfplastering on Facebook or on Twitter at BigAds. L-O-F-C Absolutely nicely done Obviously we don't have a supporters club or a trust update in our end of season roundup, but we'd like to congratulate and absolutely applaud uh, both of these absolutely fine bastions of Leighton Orient community uh, and congratulate them on another fantastic season very much looking forward to getting back into the supporters club very much looking forward to getting an update from Howard and the team uh, on what they've been doing um, in difficult times, I guess what they're trying to deliver is impossible to deliver because it involves meeting up and that sort of stuff. So interesting to to, to hear uh, when we're able to to catch up with them what they've been up to uh, during this uh, during this lockdown period. But we're going to review the season that it was. We're going to do it month by month, game by game, a very quick overview that we were noting down as we went along. So it's going to capture some of the emotion that happened as well, uh, some of the granular detail, but not too granular. So let's kick off then. So we kicked off our return to the Football League with a fixture at home to Cheltenham Town on Saturday the 3rd of August. As we all know, that game came almost secondary to the day as it was an emotional occasion. As you will all recall, it was the first league game since the passing of Justin Edinburgh 
Cheltenham Town fan group, the 1887 Red Army, launched a fundraiser for a flag in the memory of Justin, which they presented to the club with all additional money raised going to the JE3 Foundation. Superb work there from James and that group, and that flag still sits proudly in the East Stand. It really does. At Brisbane Road. Long may that continue. Um, so, on to the game now, and after a minute's silence that was impeccably observed by all fans, our hearts were in our mouths as early as the sixth minute as Luke Varney went down in the box, instead of giving a penalty, the ref booked in for simulation. That was a penalty. That was a penalty. Yeah, there's no <laughs> dispute in that. That was a penalty. We were very lucky there. As it turned out, one goal was all that was needed. And it, and as Kent alluded to earlier, it's his standout game. It's actually one of my standout games as well. And as if it was written in the stars, Josh Wright fittingly scored the goal to secure all three points. Yeah, great game, very emotional, and it had to be Josh Ryan again. Of course. When that goal went in, him, he ran off, and they get the Justin shirt out and they're all embracing. What a moment to be at that ground. Yeah, so, no, I couldn't agree with you more, actually. I mean, it, literally, as we've just said, written in the stars for him, Justin's last perfect. ever signing, friend of the family, lots of connections there. Yeah, brilliant. So, next up was our first away game of the season, Sol Campbell's Macclesfield Town. And we suffered a heavy 3-0 loss with a really spectacular opener for Macclesfield. Archibald, top corner, top bins. And that was followed by two second-half goals that sent us back down the M1 with no points disappointingly. That was a fixture we all looked at and thought we could probably take something away at Macclesfield. 100%. 100%. A team that weren't weren't particularly great, uh, much lower budget than us. Um, and Sol Campbell was their manager and we all know that he's not that great uh, a manager um, it was Plymouth up next it's Tuesday night what else do you expect Plymouth away in the Carabao Cup and it turned out to be a fruitless trip to the furthest and most southern westerly team as we lost 2-0 Callum McFazdean got Argyle off the mark just before the hour mark with a measured finish into the far corner after cutting in from the left and playing a neat one too with target man Ryan Taylor Three minutes later, it was 2-0 as Dom Telford smashed in an angle strike off the far post to give Dean Brill very little chance. Yeah, so our Carabao Cup run ended before it even began. So up next was Stevenage. We were at home as we welcomed back Scotty C. So not a game to write home about as it ended 0-0. But given Stevenage's poor start to the season, it's a game many fans felt we should have won. So I remember that game. We dominated... And we couldn't have put the ball in the net. However, in the last minute, Stevenage broke away. They had like a four and two and they really should have punished us. And they didn't. So from dominating a game, we almost lost it. It was a point, but it didn't really feel like a good point. Yeah, it was like one that should have been three and you feel hard done by. Yeah. Um, a trip to, but on the positive, it was a clean sheet. Uh, a trip to Nottinghamshire on a Tuesday night was our next game as we played Mansfield away. We conceded two goals from penalties in the first half. The first conceded by Marvin Ekpeteta after Danny Rose got the better of him. And Rose again scored from the spot after Willison was judged to have brought down Kellen Gordon. Two penalties, two stonewallers. Rose, quite a good penalty take. Yeah. I could see sent Brill the wrong way for both. However, a superb turnaround in the second half. There was a few subs made, if I remember rightly. Connor Wilkinson headed home the first and his first goal for the club from close range from a Lewis Dennis acrobatic cross and in Leanne goal levelled the scores with 12 minutes to go with his first goal from the club <coughs> as he tucked the ball home through the keeper's legs from a tight angle and in the 96 minute angle broke down the left cross low and JMD managed to scramble in from close range and seal a 3-2 win and quite a remarkable 
scenes and it's limbs, her, I think yeah. is what the kids are saying these days, isn't it? Limbs. Absolutely amazing game. The best moment for me from that match, I wasn't there, but seeing it back on the TV is the moment Embleton obviously runs to celebrate and gets ushered out by a steward who thinks he's just a fan in a cap and an Not orange tracky top. He literally physically gets picked up <laughs> to be removed. It's so funny. Absolutely amazing. Great memories there. And um, that is one of the nominations for Game of the Season. And quite rightly so. And we'll find yeah. out later in the podcast yeah. if it has won. Absolutely. So moving on then, Crawley were up next. They came to Brisbane Road and despite taking the lead twice for a Josh Wright screamer and a Lee Angle penalty, it was XO Ollie Palmer who took the glory as his double gave Crawley the points as they won the game 3-2. Shocking really. Yeah, that was a game we should have won. That was the kind of first game where you kind of realised our defensive uh, frailties. frailties in League 2, stuff we were probably getting away with in the National League. And when you look at back at Palmer's two goals, especially his first one, easily, easily avoidable. Um, but, you know, that's a step up. It's League 2 football. Ollie Palmer seemed to become a much more efficient right. yeah. forward, scoring two goals as it happens all the time in football. So a disappointing loss there. Still a good player, I thought. When yeah. we had him, I thought he was a good player, just underutilised. But he's gone. Where he, when, when he's moved on, he's done pretty well. He went to Lincoln, I think, and then to Crawley. A good player. Out of contract, apparently, in the summer. Right. Wow, there you yeah. go. But Str- I think we've got all our strikers, haven't we, now? So Stranger things have happened, but yeah. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. So the month finished with an away trip to Salford City. Despite going behind to a Richie Tell strike in the 13th minute, a well-spirited performance was rewarded with an equaliser as Salford keeper Chris Neal accidentally backheeled a James Brophy effort into his net as the O's got a deserved late point. I remember following that game and we pretty much went off in the second half, deserved the point, and it came in a lucky way. But we'll take it nonetheless. Yeah, take whatever you can. So at the end of August, we were sat 15th in the league. We'd played six games in August. We'd won two, drawn two, lost two. We had a minus two goal difference and we'd accumulated eight points not from that. Bad start, Sorry, I would say, from a newly evens. promoted club. You probably would have taken that at the beginning. So moving on. In- and considering what had happened in the summer as well. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, still getting over it you know yeah so September started with a win so we faced Southend in the leasing.com trophy with the O's coming out two new winners thanks to an early strike from Dan Happy and Dow Gorman in a match that will always I would say be remembered for that James Alarby incredible accidental diving block on the Southend post as the ball was going in to the net lucky we were winning that game and you know we didn't lose a league game because of it or an important game because of it. You can laugh when you win a game 2-0. I'm not sure you could laugh if it was 1-0 in the 89th minute in a game that you needed to get a point out of. Yeah, 100%. It seemed like... I, I didn't quite understand how he managed to block it rather than <laughs> score. I mean, the guy the guy did amazing things, but yeah, that's a bit of a baffling one. And I, I remember that because I remember watching back and I remember speaking to I think a couple of the players and they were like... I can't remember who said what, but it was like astonishment. Well, we were there and at the time... it. You couldn't really work out what happened. But then we started getting a few tweets in because people were watching it, I think, on the stream saying, you've got to see this Alarby missing. And obviously it kind of escalated and went a bit viral as it quite rightly should have done. Yeah. So league... Gone. Yeah, no, we were back in league action. <laughs> uh, we had the visit of Swindon Town and one Matthew Baldry returning in defence. who and, but they, and they absolutely destroyed us. Hammered. Absolutely. The, the league champions gave us an absolute lesson there. Um, that and that was just the first half. They went three 0 up to leave us with absolutely stunned. And a J and D strike in the seventy fourth minute turned out to be a small consolation. 
as the visitors took and comfortably took all three points. That was the first game that you were watching thinking this team were head and shoulders above us. That was the first time where we'd really been outclassed. I think from the first minute, Swindon pressing, passing accurately, running on all the different areas of the pitch. We just looked like headless chickens and probably deserved to be where we were. So up next was a difficult looking fixture. White high flying and unbeaten Exeter City. The game looked to be following the form book when the hosts took the lead in the 41st minute. However, the O's were back level before the breakers. Liangel pounced and finished really well. And in, in the 57th minute, Louis Dennis had a shot, uh, speculative from outside the box, took a deflection, ended up in the back of the net to put the O's 2 1 up. And that was the way it stayed until the 92nd minute. As Josh Coulson fouled Ben Seymour in the box and upstepped Nicky Law. He converted his penalty to rescue a point for the host. Not a bad point there, but after being... Take a point away, excellent. Leading for so long, it was a bit disappointing to concede in the 92nd minute. But at this point, Louis Dennis has scored his first goal for the club. And goal starting to look like a bit of a decent player. I'm kind of wings up going too bad, yeah. now, So we're starting to sort of get slowly get running. But up next, it was a bit relentless actually. Up next, a high-flying crew at home. And after going a goal behind, we equalised just before half-time through Jordan Maguire-Drew. And then in the 57th minute, we were awarded a penalty, um, after which some debate was taken weekly by JMD and the crew keeper Jaskalainen saved easily. And to make matters worse, crew scored in the 90th minute to win the match. Yeah, it could have been very different if JMD had taken the penalty. So at the time, it was a bit of a scuffle between the players deciding who was going to take the penalty. JMD won that but couldn't convert his penalty and I don't think he's taken a penalty since although I may be wrong he probably got a dressing down for that because there's obviously protocol Who there is a yeah. designated penalty taker and there is a backup de- penalty taker in case that person's not on the pitch yeah. and it probably wasn't him so disappointing to lose to a safe penalty and a last minute goal and up next it was another 2-1 defeat in the local derby as we travelled to Colchester we went a goal down as early as the third minute and 2-0 down after 28 minutes again our defence seems to be leaking goals at this point Connor yeah. Wilkinson Pulled a goal back just before half-time to make it 2-1, which is how the game eventually ended. We finished September at home to Port Vale in a game that ended in a draw that really felt like a win. Josh Wright opened the scoring in the third minute with a well-placed header, but the defensive errors continued as we conceded two goals before half-time to go in 2-1 down at the break. The second-half performance was full of tempo and intensity, and Connor Wilkinson scored a stunning curler to bring us level at 2-2. But Val retook the lead in the 84th minute with a super strike of their own. And I'm sitting there thinking at this point, that's us done, we've yeah. just lost this game 3-2. But Josh Wright popped up again with a sweet, stooping header in the 95th minute to secure a point. Great, great goal. That, to adjust your body, to then get down and just, and, and just to get, get your head on the end of it and direct it into the goal. Brilliant. I can't remember who put the cross in. I think it was JMD, but it was a superb cross, right down really well with a header. And again, it was one of those great Brisbane Road moments where last minute equaliser. Absolutely. And it was deserved as well. It was yeah. a deserved equaliser. The draw was the right result there. And that kind of answers a lot of the people that like don't understand what Wright does. Well, it was a good finish. He did do well. And he kind of took a gamble and he won yeah. it. And again, that game could have been considered for a match of the season, but we didn't nominate it because it wasn't a victorious one for the O's, but a very enjoyable game nonetheless. So the end of September saw us in 21st place as we had played 11. We didn't win in September, so we'd still only won two, drawn four, lost five, goal difference of minus six, 10 points. 
So no. moving on into October. Yeah, we started the month with an away trip to Northampton Town, another club that was once managed by the late Justin Edinburgh. A tribute was paid to him by both clubs before kickoff, and it was us who walked away with all three points as a single James Brophy stunner was enough. But credit to Ross, who made three changes to the squad that saw Matt Harold start in the league for the first time this season and bag a superb assist. Great goal. Harold's assist was absolute genius, and we kept the clean sheet on, a, again, a very start. emotional yeah. day. And at that time, Northampton were doing really well, so it kind of felt like a really, really big Solid result. win. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So next up was AFC Wimbledon and the Leasing.com Trophy on a Tuesday night. We made nine changes to our starting eleven from Northampton, and conversely, Wimbledon made only three changes without their manager, Wally Downs, who was suspended... Um, for getting in a bit of trouble. Yeah, betting, I, th- I think, yeah. wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. So they went ahead fairly early on, if I remember this rightly. We had a really good chance to score really early on. I think it was Alabi or Dennis. And if that had gone in, it's a different story. But late in the game, two goals from Wimbledon, and we lost 3-0. Yeah. We were at home to Walsall the following Saturday in a game which will be remembered for one reason, or more accurately, one person, Joe Widdison. Joe was making his 100th or in appearance... But even more crucially, he scored his first goal in 10 years. Well done, Mr. Weller. Can you get a clap? 10 years he'd gone dry. <laughs> and it was a fantastic goal, to be fair. And it was with his weaker right foot. It was a curler, side-footed curler, from the edge of the box. I thought, I thought it was a tremendous goal. One of the goals of the season, really. As it left his boot, you knew exactly where it was going. He placed that really well. Well done, Joe. Matt Harold. They made it 2-1 while I was in the toilet. The only goal I'd missed at a game I'd been to in the last couple of years. Yeah. Good, well done, Matt. Great finish. And then Conor Wilkinson scored a third soon after. And again, decent finish as we came from behind to win 3-1. Decent result that. Um, in the first half, it was all Walsall, remember rightly, and we were struggling. And the second half, whatever Ross said, it worked. We came up differently, wanted the ball. I think Brophy, again, was really driving the game on the left. And we looked like a different side, which has happened... A couple of times this season where it's almost a different performance when they're attacking the south stand in the second half and there's more like urgency and impetus mm. and tempo but we deserved that and that felt like a really good win agree with you on that one so by this point Ross had made it clear that he didn't want to continue as head coach interim head coach at the club so the club uh, began a lengthy search and after that lengthy search had sort of concluded itself the, the club announced that uh, Bournemouth loan manager Carl Fletcher is going to be our new head coach. And that was announced two days before our trip to the fish capital of the UK <laughs> as we played Grimsby away. Carl watched from the stands as we ran out 4-0 winners and even James Alabi got on the score sheet, scoring Orient's third goal, having nicked the ball off a Grimsby player and running, a f- well, I'd say three Just quarters Just inside his own half, wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was more closer to our goal. No. Uh, our, our box, sorry. Uh, rather um, <clears throat> so James had done that and, and scored uh, I think uh, quite a few people watching that were thinking he's going to scuff it and miss or trip over his own shoelaces or something like that but actually it was a fantastic goal and I'd love to have been there uh, to have seen that but I wasn't Dan Happy header and a sweet Josh Coulson effort and a late Josh Wright penalty gave Orient a very very comfortable win as we moved five places up the table and moved into a positive goal difference as Ross signed off his interim reign in style. Yeah, so his last three games, Ross, we absolutely we got nine pounds out of nine. So yeah. at that point, it was all looking very, very rosy. A new manager coming in. Ross had kind of managed the interim period from Justin Parson to lead the club forward really well. 
and all things looked good. So the first game of Carl Fletcher's reign was a Tuesday night away match. And again, away to Plymouth Argyle. Kudos to the 224 Hardy fans who made such a lengthy journey as the result was not one we wanted to see as we lost 4-0 in a game that will be remembered for the blatant and intentional handball that led to Plymouth Argyle's first goal. Again, another moment that went absolutely viral. I mean, Orient seemed to be this League 2 club who just had these <coughs> four or five moments a season at the mm. moment where things just go absolutely crazy. And again, the most blatant handball you'll ever see. And if that doesn't happen, then we don't necessarily concede the second straight after. And Correct. It turns a different game. And Carl Fletcher's reign, although we know how poor it was, could have started off very differently if it wasn't for that blatant and handball. And you build that momentum and potentially not go down the road that we did. And how the referee and his assistant missed that, I think, is utterly beyond comprehension. How, if he didn't get marked down heavily on that, on his referee yeah. uh, assessment thing, I'd be very surprised. And it's true, it still shocks me now that that goal was still allowed to stand. But all goals were in the first half, and we were clearly rattled, and it left really too big a mountain for us to climb in the second half. All in all, a night to forget in what was Carl's first game officially in charge, and he was obviously back at his yeah. old club as well. So no one likes that, do they? No, I mean, that was always going to be a difficult game, but you know, it was kind of completely overshadowed by that handball. So we finished October at home to Carlisle, who were below us in the league and desperate for a win. So this was most definitely a game of two halves. In the first half, we played high-tempo, high-press passing game, took advantage by scoring thanks to a Josh Wright penalty won by James Brophy, who gave their right back a torrid time in the first half. However, totally different side in the second half, and it was Carlisle who were the better side, and they equalised early on from a header as we ran out of steam, which having done the amount of travelling we'd done in the past week, and the heavy pitch, was no surprise. So the game saw us, us end the month of October, lower mid-table, so we were placed in 16th as we played 16, won 5, drawn 5, lost 6, a goal difference of minus 3 and 20 points. So that, we're going to take a pause from the season there and we're delighted to say that we are now joined on the phone by uh, Nigel Travis, the club's chairman. Nigel, good evening and welcome back. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thank you. I'm in Naples, Florida, so I'm looking out at the ocean and the sun, so life's good. Very nice to hear that. Very that, nice to hear. That's amazing. We're in Paul's garden looking at the back of Hainault, which is just as beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's no Florida. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, I'd love to be occasionally able to come to London, but you guys keep quarantining us foreigners. Yeah. <laughs> We're not even quarantining ourselves. I don't exactly understand the full thing, but but there you go. Nigel, we, we've, just, we've just paused our end of season review uh, in uh, the end of October. Carl Fletcher's just come in. He's... Just lost at, at Plymouth. Um, obviously, you know we, we've played Cheltenham in our first game of the season. Uh, but keen to hear your sort of thoughts and views on the season overall. Well, I think my sum up, guys, is what a season. <laughs> I mean, the season really began before the official date of the season starting, which of course is the 1st of July, uh, with the passing of Justin, which... I really did mar the whole season and made it very difficult for everyone. And I think we will always look back as this season as a season of recovery after that very sad loss. And yes, we had a bit of a full start with Carl Fletcher. But I think as I look back on it, I, I feel good about what Ross Embleton did after he came in and was given the job permanently. 
And obviously, we then had the pandemic. We had the potential restart, no restart. And eventually, we stopped after 36 games in 17th place, uh, which was confirmed also by points per game. Um, some bizarre things happened in other leagues, like Wickham, I think, shooting up in League One from ninth place to third. Yeah. Um, but I think when we look back at it, given what happened in the summer, given that I think we were just coming into some kind of form, we should feel that we had a year of consolidation back in the Football League. Um, a year ago, we were celebrating getting back in the league. We consolidated. And I think we're now in a situation where, like most other clubs, it's very tough to predict the future. But we learnt a lot. I think we've got a very capable head coach. We've got some very good players. I know the players are excited about next year. And I think we've managed pretty well during the pandemic. We've had weekly meetings with all employees, which includes players. Morale is good. And we're going to take it one step at a time. So did you have a favourite moment from last season? Were there any moments for you or matches that stand out for you? Um, not really. Um, I think the Cheltenham game, the first game, was important because we had to get off to a strong start. Um, I remember Rule's goal down at Newport because it happened so early in the game. That was a highlight. But I think the fact I'm struggling to remember things puts the season into context because we had the passing of Justin hanging over let's say, a good half of the season. Then we hit COVID. It's been one of those years where what happened off the field has been probably, in many ways, more important than playing on the field. And don't get me wrong, you know, we're in this business to win football games and to get our beloved club up the pyramid. But this has been probably the strangest year in the history of football. Couldn't agree with you more. Do you predict where you would want us to end up pre-season? Do you have your sort of, I would think we're finishing X place. Do you do you do that or you just sort of see how things pan out? We do. And to be honest, I've got the list of what all the ball directors thought. And I can't, haven't actually looked at it recently. But I think from memory, I thought if we could finish sort of about halfway, that's that would be good. Um, but... I think when we made those predictions, which was right before the start of the season, even we didn't take into account the ongoing effect of losing Justin and, and how that was, was very difficult for young men who probably hadn't lost anyone in their life. The, the changes in the, um, in, in the coaching staff. I mean, one thing I think is, and I think I said this to you before, we always forget we missed Justin terribly, but we missed our captain for all but one game. I mean, and when Joby came back, what? how class did he look? It was fantastic. Um, and I think that was also a big factor. And I think we would have done better if Joby could have played earlier. Yeah, we were starting to hit a better 
better form in the, in the latter part of the season. And I think you're right about Joby. You could see from that, I think it was 21 minutes he had on the pitch against Cambridge of the impact. And not just on the pitch, off the pitch, it, it really G'd mm. the crowd up as well, if I remember rightly. So I know you're a big fan, Nigel, of the challenge culture. Um, and that's something that you drive in every business that you that you take part in. But do you think there's anything we could have been better on last season off the off the pitch? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you can always do better. Um, and and I think the communications after Carl went, and I've said this before, we could have done a better job. I think um, we we at times. Um, I think one of the things that we perhaps needed to communicate earlier in the season is the sustainability message about football. We're really making progress, and I think the pandemic will lead to a change in the way that football is run. I think we could have communicated that more strongly earlier in the season. I think our marketing and our PR was always good, but I I would have liked to have seen even more. I mean... You, you can go through and list all the things that we could have done better. I mean, I think I've also said, I said this at the AGM, I said, one big regret I've had for the whole time we've owned the club, that we should have brought in um, someone like Simon Blake earlier in our tenure. Simon's a really, really good finance person. He's not an employee. He's not a director. He's our advisor. And his influence has been profound in the last few months. So that's something that, you know, not this season, but the last three seasons we've been missing. And I think we would have done better financially if Simon had been there from the start. But, yeah, all the time we spend thinking about how we can improve. I mean, I I, I think I'd say that... um, the pitch apparently now looks the best it's been. I think we have to try and keep the pitch up to that level. And I haven't got over my dream of having some kind of cis pitch um, or deso pitch as the other brand. And it's interesting that Tranmere just put one in. Um, really? They'll obviously be in our league next year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to see. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think it gives you a, a better surface. You can bring in more revenue through playing more games on it. And, and and it was interesting, Martin Keown, who I got into a big debate about artificial pitches on Talk Sport, uh, he and I, I invited him over to the club and we had a great afternoon with Danny, Martin, um, Colin, the groundsman and a couple of others. And, and one of the points he made is when he was playing, he always, he always trained regularly on the pitch. We don't train on the pitch and we do it to protect the pitch. He thinks that's a mistake. So I think there's a way where we could play more games. I'd like to see more academy games played on the pitch. I'd like to see more women's games played on the pitch. But if you've got a stronger pitch that sustains the wear and tear, you can do that. And then you could also think about, and it seems very bizarre in the world we're currently living, concerts should be a revenue stream for us. And... And again, the Deso or Sis pitch would help that. So I'm hoping that we can find the money sometime in the next couple of years to put that in. And just to be clear to your listeners, the, the reason it is a stronger surface is it's basically the grass is woven in with a thread and it binds.
cleanse it all together so you don't get the big divots. Um, that's essentially what it is. I'm sure Colin will tell me I've got that somewhat wrong, but it, just about every Premier League club has a pitch like that. Um, speaking of you know the PR and the marketing, couldn't have gone much better with the Harry Kane announcement. You must be delighted with the shirt sales off the back of that as well. Oh no, we're over the moon about it. And when you think that no one can go close to the retail shop until um, I think it's tomorrow, um, it, it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, this was all Danny Matron's idea. I mean, no one else should take any credit. He came up with it. Um, you know, we were all involved and we had to get the approval of seemingly 500 people. But, you know, the, the Kane family have been extremely um, helpful, supportive. I think we will continue our contacts with them. You know, I know they're very keen to get Harry a higher profile in America. We're going to try and help them do that. But at the end of the day, this was an innovative program that benefited... I think Leighton Orient, all the charities, they're on the shirts. And it's interesting how people are kind of copying it now. And I've had all kinds of people phone me up and say, how did you do that? I've even had a baseball club phone me up and ask how we did it. But um, but no, that, 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 that was fantastic. And I, I should also say, Luke and Dan came up with the idea of doing the FIFA tournament, which got great engagement. And, and that was a fabulous thing as well. So as we've gone through this period, we've worked really hard at trying to engage the fans uh, because most people are bored. Most people just want football back. And it's interesting, I'm going to be actually watching Northampton and uh, Cheltenham on Thursday on streaming because I'm playing the, the Northampton chairman at golf because he lives up the road from here on Friday. Amazing. Um, <laughs> But I think streaming is going to be the next frontier. Hopefully, and I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression, we want people in front of... We want people to be at the games. We want people to be in the stadium. But streaming, I think, is going to continue to be important as we try and build the Late Orient brand globally. And also, just to pick up on that, my understanding from what I've read um, and, the, and the club have been extremely communicative um, during this time about options for people with season tickets, uh, sales, if they don't get to go to games, that they are going to have access to the streaming for as long as they're not able to be um, at, at Brisbane Road. That's I've understood that correctly, haven't have I? Yeah, no, no, you've got that right. I mean, yeah. um, that, that's... We'd like to do better than that, but if we can't, if people can't come to the stadium, that's what we have to do. And and we're very conscious that people want to watch the club. We're conscious that people want to watch the club home and away. And there's all kinds of barriers, you know, transport. How do you, you know, where do you park? Where, you know, social distancing. How, how, I mean, we've even talked about putting scanners in that uh, measure people's temperatures. I mean. There's all kinds of issues that need to be thought about. And I'm sure one of your questions is, when will we play again? I think the earliest will be in the middle of September. Um, may even be later. Um, the trouble is, I think everyone is so focused on finishing the season that probably thinking about next year has been put aside a little bit. And contrary to opinion, I want to also say, I think the EFL has done a pretty good job trying to sort out 
a really, really difficult situation. I mean, I know some people are very unhappy. Tranmere again. Um, so, so, but to sort this out with three quarters of the season, well, more than three quarters of the season gone, it's been incredibly difficult. And they've 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 allowed all of us to have our views. We've had our say, and at the end of the day, you need to make some decisions, and we have. So, as as you mentioned. Um Obviously, we, th- th- there's a lot of unknowns uh, out there. So, at board level, what can you do to, at, at this point? Um, at this point in time, what what have you been planning for next season, um, Nigel? Because obviously, we, we had Kent on uh, earlier in the show. Uh, obviously, and he quite rightly pointed out the January, the July, the summer transfer window. Sorry, you don't know what that when that's gonna be open if it's going to be 1st of July 1st of August 1st September or what we don't know when the season's going to start and we don't know you know there's out of contract players how, how they're going to be sort of handled if you like so what what can you do at this point in time well it's interesting um, <coughs> I think Steve and I talked to by WhatsApp about what our companies are doing and and I think most companies have to plan like three or four weeks at a time. I mean, to, to imagine any more is tough in this situation because it changes every day. I mean, I was reading the Sunday Times, the Sunday Times in London, that is, earlier today. And, you know, Boris Johnson's accused of not making decisions about the one metre or two metre rule and all that stuff. I mean, things are going to change. I mean, and, and whether it's September or October, it's a long way off. So the unknowns are when we can start training, when we start training, what kind of training we can do, mm. uh, when the season's going to start, uh, what cup competitions are going to be, how many people will be allowed in the stadium. I can go on and on. Mm. So what we're trying to do is we have to think about our audiences and we've, we try to communicate a lot to the fans. We've... We have a responsibility to communicate with our employees and we've had these weekly meetings and and I just want to say a thing about footballers. Some people believe that footballers don't think about clubs overall. Well, we had several great ideas from players during this time about what we could do to help the club. I mean, it's been a very comprehensive process that we go through every week and the meetings have all been really good. In terms of what we've tried to do at board level is we tried to somehow predict the future. And our budget for next year has been essentially 10 games behind closed doors and the rest of the games with a very limited crowd. We could actually have done a budget worse than that, which is playing every game behind closed doors. But I think if that is the outlook, the, the season wouldn't take place because most clubs wouldn't make it. You know, I'm sure we will make it come you know some good thinking and 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 support from and we've had the support of the furlough program but other support as well but we've, we've done this budget and the difference between the budget we would have had anyway and the budget for the new season is between an additional loss of 1.5 and 1.8 million that's a lot of money mm. um and and we've communicated that internally i've I've now communicated that externally again. Um, so all we can do is keep going every two or three weeks, looking forward. I mean, 
You mentioned the Harry Kane program. Most clubs haven't had that benefit. Mm. Stevens has signed up another several sponsorships. Fantastic work. Um, we're looking at how we save money here and there on both sides, the administrative side and the coaching and playing staff. But at the end of the day, you've got to be careful you don't cut too far because we want to progress next year. And, and I truly believe, given the players we currently have, that we could end up, you know, towards the top of the table next year. I'm not going to say we make the playoffs, but in the top, to say quarter, third. And, and the feeling is that next year could be a bit like two years ago, where we built on not a spectacular season, a solid season. And a lot of people thought, well, we should have gone out and signed like 10 more players, and we didn't. But there is a strong feeling that we have the talent to do very well next year. It's very, very encouraging to hear. Nigel, one last question um, for you before we let you go uh, this Sunday evening. What, what's your message to the, the Leighton Orient fans and our listeners tonight? Well, I never cease to be amazed by how fantastic they are. Um, I think Leighton Orient fans have shown their loyalty to the club by an amazing numbers not asking for the refund for the season tickets. I think they've participated in everything we've done with great enthusiasm and support. I think I wish I could give them more positive news and more actual details about when we're going to start, but I think that's every club in the country is in the same spot. Um, I just want to say that you've got a board that really appreciates the way you support us uh, we're all one family I think I talked about the negative side of Justin's passing over the past season I think we've also seen the very positive side about how everyone's kind of learnt from the experience and come closer together so that's been a huge positive and I'd like to thank you guys because the podcast is part of the culture and you do, guys do a fantastic job. And I know, you know, you, you do the Orient Hour. I think, yeah, we're all in this for one thing, Lake Orient. I mean, I, I, yeah. the only reason I'm here is Lake Orient. I mean, yeah, you know, I love that club. Um, we try and make the right decisions. Yeah, we're going to screw up quite a few times, but we try and go into everything very thoughtfully. And we truly believe we're doing the best to move the club forward and move it forward for many years to come and as I've said as someone who's 70 um, you know I want the club to be going in 70 years and thriving in 70 years so we'll keep taking that very long term approach but right now we have to take a short term approach as we get through the pandemic Love it fantastic words Nigel thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening and we hope to see you and speak to you very soon in person Okay Thanks, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So some fantastic words there from O's chairman. Great insight. Nigel Travis, great insight. So thanks again to Nigel and to Kent for coming on this evening's podcast. So as you might remember, we finished our season review at October. November is a bit bleak, so if you want to go and get yourself a cup of tea, turn the volume down for five minutes. Now is probably the time to do so. So November started off with our only away trip of the month to the seaside in the northwest as we made the long journey up to bottom of the league, Markham, and their long-serving manager, Jim Bentley, who resigned earlier in the week to join a non-league club, AFC Fylde Men. 
that Kevin Ellison and Barry Roche were in temporary charge. So we all were going into this game thinking this is a game Orient will win, but it, it was a performance to remember, but not for the right reasons. So following Carl's first of all interrupted week in charge, we lost 1-0 to a single goal, which left most fans annoyed and some infuriated by a pretty poor performance with little attacking intent. So I remember the tweets that came in after the game, most fans were outraged. I remember having Adam, uh, our sponsor on the podcast, he went to Morecambe and he flagged that he, as well as a lots of other Ornit fans, were starting to get very concerned with Carl's tactics and the way we were going about our football. And there was a lot, on, again, about his post-match interviews that seemed a bit confusing. Oh, the first couple were awful, weren't Not they? great. So at the moment, it seemed that it probably wasn't a very good appointment at that time. He's the first manager that's been appointed that's lost the crowd as quickly and fan support as quickly as, as he did. I can't remember in any recent no. time where someone's lost the fan support that quickly and you're, you've absolutely hit nailed on the head you know his tactics and how we played maybe his expectations of the players um, and then his post-match interviews were um, when he answered when he Dave he answered one of Dave Victor's questions well if I knew that I'd be yeah. a millionaire but that's your job to know that mate so but I think what I think he tried to come in and impose himself too much too quickly um, when he'd just come off the back, he'd just taken over off the back of like a decent run that yeah. was like three or four or four wins out of five or three out of five wins or something like that. All he had to do was just carry on and then slowly start to make those changes as he needed to rather than coming in and saying, right, forget everything you've done. I don't know if he did this or not, but it seems like he might have done. This is how we're going to play my way. Yeah. So really... Made it made a, a real rod for his own back because I think he lost the internal support as well. Yeah, well, it sounds like he definitely did. So a very poor result was followed up with a leasing.com trophy yeah. game on the Wednesday against Brighton's under-23. So the original fixture of this one, if you remember, was supposed to be on the Tuesday, but the potential of 2,000 Ajax fans who were banned from going to their Champions League game against Chelsea meant the fixture was moved. The game pretty uneventful. It finished one all after Louis Dennis cancelled out a Brighton opener. So the time went to penalties, which the O's won. The O's finally won a penalty shootout. The only game Carl won. <laughs> 4-2, following two Sam Sargent penalties saved. So well done there to Mr. Sargent. So uh, the following weekend, though, more embarrassment. Um, as our game uh, was FA Cup, FA Cup first action, uh, sorry, first round action, and we were drawn at home to 8th, Tier Malden and Tiptree, the jam people. The tie was moved to Sunday the 10th to allow the BBC to show the match live to overseas viewers. And it was the game we will all want to forget as the visitors pulled off a giant killing as they ran out 2-1 winners. James Dayton consolation goal wasn't enough to save us from exiting the competition amongst a huge amount of fans calling for Carl Fletcher to be sacked just a couple of weeks after taking over. Again, well, you thought it was probably going to get any worse against Morecambe, and I think we all thought that if we lost to Morden and Tiptree, he would be given his marching orders. Um, and I remember on that Sunday, Nigel offering to come on the podcast, but we postponed doing it because we were certain there was going to be an announcement about Carl, and we didn't want to do a podcast on the Sunday, only to have a, an announcement on, on the, the Monday. Monday. Yeah. However, the announcement did come, but it came on the following Thursday, on the 14th of November, as Carl Fletcher was relieved of his duties as we parted company following not only a disastrous run of results, but a real shift in the culture of the team and backroom staff. Can I just say, I think, I think losing to Molden and Tittree was embarrassing enough, not only for Cole, but for the players. 
So I think there's a little bit of culpability for both yeah. Carl and, and the players. I think they, at that point, needed, I wrote that they needed to take a bit of a long, hard look at themselves and actually turn up and be a bit more professional than that. Again, that's speaking without knowing what really went on behind the scenes yeah, in, the, in, in the training ground. So it's easy to sit here and hypothesise and think, well, this happened, that happened, and you should just turn up and just play like robots. I know it's not as easy as that because they're human beings, but I think that there is an element of that that they can take from that. But, I mean, it's done now. Yeah, I mean, fair play to Nigel, who went on record <coughs> you know, at the time to thank Cole uh, and absolve him of responsibility for the decision being taken, you know, instead breaking with industry norms by saying the club got the appointment wrong. So I think they were just being polite to Nigel. To, uh, to, I think Nigel was just being polite to, to Cole, to be honest with you. Yeah. Possibly. So I mean, that it didn't harm him getting another job. Yeah, I mean, he's back at Bournemouth now. Yeah, so, you he's know, got a full payoff and then got walked time. back into a job at Bournemouth at what he was probably being paid before. The guy's done very well out of us <laughs> for being an abject failure. Absolutely appalling. So that meant for the third time, the third outlooker was back in charge as interim head coach of the O's with Danny Webb as his assistant. So we all wanted Ross to do well. Obviously, he left the club in a great position yeah. you know it felt like the time was turning but yeah. you know he did explain why he didn't want the job at the time we all kind of accepted that so Dan, so Ross back in charge third time so it's Scunthorpe up next as they visited Brisbane Road and they took the lead after only four minutes and then they sealed the win in the 79th minute with a goal from Lee Novak as the O's continued to slide the wrong way down the table so obviously Ross leaves the team full of confidence full of great form and he comes back less than a month later and that team were starting to go on a massive decline, which continued against Scunthorpe. Yeah, and then high-flying Forest Green Rovers showed no mercy. They arrived in our last home game uh, and fixture for November. Uh, and it was a game that is remembered for the unsavoury incident, unfortunately, involving Mark Cooper, who abused Ross and slurred the late Justin Edinburgh. We lost the game 4-2, having gone 3-0 down in the first half as ex-lonee Ebu Adams scored a double. Although for the first 20 or so minutes we played well, but when the second went in our heads really dropped. We fought back in the second half and got two goals back through Matt Harold and Jordan Maguire drew. And if Josh Coulson's shot in the 88th minute had gone in instead of hitting the crossbar, we'd be talking about a draw. But it didn't as the visitors got a fourth late on in added time to seal the win. So that at the end of November sees us in 18th position. We'd played 19, we'd only won five of our 19, we'd drawn five and lost a whopping nine. We had a goal difference uh, of minus 18 and 20 points. I think I might have got that. I don't know if we were... Anyway, I'm not sure if the minor goal difference was, was that bad. But... <laughs> we, um, I thought Forest Green Rovers on that day were very good. I thought they would, they would go up on the back of that. I thought they were very strong. Abu was very good. They had strength and depth, but they crumbled after that, quite rightly so, uh, as Karma worked there against yeah. Mark Cooper. So December now... Started with Bristol Rovers away in the Leeson.com trophy, which was now in the knockout phase in the start of a busy schedule. So the match for this one finished one all after a Leon goal tapping cancelled out Rovers' opener. So the game went to penalties with Josh Wright and also Tori missing theirs as Bristol Rovers won the shootout 4-2 and progressed to the next round. Ross Embleton called the next uh, called our next game at Oldham away, one of the worst games of football he'd ever seen. We left Boundary Park with a point following a pre following pre-match protest by the Oldham fans against their owner. And once the game started, we went behind in the second minute, but Jordan Maguire drew level the scores in the 25th minute as he scrambled the ball in at the back post. 
Yeah, so one all interesting, there. interesting set of circumstances in that one. Yeah, really interesting. So this was followed up with two, well, with the game at home after two games on the road. So we faced Bradford City at home next. The game ended nil nil. We should have had a penalty as Leanne Gold was pulled down in the box, but nothing was given. Good solid performance that from us, uh, and I think on the balance of play, we did deserve the win, but a point. Point is all we got. Yeah, not bad against High Flying Bradford. And in, in yeah. the evening, it was adjusted Edinburgh for a free foundation gala dinner. And we must say well done to Charlie, Sydney, and Kerry for the fantastic work that they in the JE Free Foundation have done today and continue to do so. Absolutely spot on there. That was a fantastic night. Really lots, good. Of, lots of you know, well known uh, footballing people there to, to lend their support. Absolutely fantastic. I, I reckon next year's will be even bigger. It'd be I'm moved sure to a London. Right. I think it might be moved to a London place rather than yeah. uh, a local. Perfectly local for me. Happy yeah. to have it there again. We went up the M11 to Cambridge next as Josh Coulson made a return to a club that consider him one of their legends and this was an exciting game to say the least as we went ahead on the, on the half-hour mark thanks to Jamie Turley. Josh Wright then doubled our lead as he put home a rebound from his saved penalty and eight minutes later, and on the stroke of half-time, Jordan Maguire-Drew scored a free kick that will be a contender for goal, or was a, is a contender yeah, for goal of the season. The second half was equally eventful as Cambridge managed to pull two goals back. Reggie Lamb received a straight red card for a bad challenge on Niango, and unfortunately shortly after, Miles Judd joined him as he received the second yellow card as we held out for a very, very valuable pre-Christmas three points yeah it felt like a win was coming you could see the performance was starting to get better it was good yeah. to get a first away win in a while to ensure a decent Christmas so it was but on to Boxing Day next we welcome Colchester to Brisbane Road and it wasn't the gift any of us wanted as we lost the game 3-1 with substitute Rul Satoru getting his first goal for the club following his return from a very successful loan spot at Dover obviously Rul scored the goal and not South End out of the FA Cup uh, yep. in the upset and Rul Got a couple more goals in the National League. So, yes, you know, not a bad result, Three but taking the only positive from that was to tell you off the mark, a tap in, a poacher's goal, but take them as you get them. Absolutely. Our last game of the month, year and decade, was a highly emotional one at Newport County as they inducted Justin Edinburgh into their Hall of Fame, with special presentations being made to the Edinburgh family at half time. As for the game, we got off to an amazing start as Royal Satoru headed us ahead. In the second minute from a free kick, uh, we held uh, the lead until the 81st minute when Pedrag Amond uh, was alert following an overhead kick and he tapped in at the far post. Yeah, decent point. Now, if I remember rightly, we didn't really threaten after the goal. We kind of just sat back and they were threatening us and it was a deserved equaliser. I think no one was surprised when that went in. Yeah, it was on as even at the end of this match as it ended one all, meaning the league table at the end of December and therefore the end of the year and the decade saw us sit 17th in League 2, having played 24, won 6, drawn 8 and lost 10. We had 26 points on the table and a goal difference of minus 9 yeah. at this stage. So January now to 2020. <laughs> Started off with a loss away to Walsall on New Year's Day. Poor goal conceded. A long keeper punt up the pitch. I think Dean Gordon was the one who rounded Sam Sargent to put the ball in the net. But Walsall were reduced to 10 men in the 65th minute. And a lack of good quality crosses 
coupled with mistakes, there's a distinct lacking across the pitch. So fans take to social media to vent their frustrations and in some cases anger at the results and the club's club seemingly no closer to announcing whether Ross Embleton was going to be made permanent or whether the club were looking for a new manager. So at this point, Ross had been back and into him uh, charged for about a month, a month and a half. and We didn't really know what was going to be happening and it was starting to get uh, to a point where frustrations was starting to boil over. I remember Ross saying a couple of times on the podcast that he was getting confronted by fans at, at games. Fans are being sort of quite brave and, and shouting at him and him wanting to go over and have a chat and talk to them um, and, and just to tell them what, what's going on. Um, but yes, it was, it was getting a little bit frustrating not knowing, you know, the club won't communicate him with us to let us know whether there was a conversation with Ross, yeah. whether there wasn't a conversation we were just going to keep the interim title and let it go to the end of the season, let's get this season done and then we'll reassess where we're at. So yeah, there was a lot of frustrations. Yeah, absolutely. So after a break, due to Northampton being involved in the FA Cup third round, we faced Grimsby Town at home, who had recently appointed Ian Holloway as manager and came to us on the back of winning 1-0 twice. We came out of this game with a draw, having gone behind against the runner players, Grimsby debutant Billy Clark, who I think we were linked with or named... Uh, in the on, on social media, uh, he raced onto a ball uh, that was over the top and lobbed uh, the ball over Sam Sargent. Pretty decent goal, to be fair. Lee Angle deservedly equalised though in the 91st minute with a penalty after substitute Craig Clay was brought down as we managed to grab a point. The thing I remember most about this game is the selfies with Ian Holloway as he was walking around with his JE Free Foundation badge and proudly meeting all the Orient fans. Because yeah. we had hospitality that day, didn't we? No. I did. You did, I didn't. I did. Um, I, was, I can't remember... It might have been Energy Bear or it might have been... I can't remember exactly, but I had hospital... And he was walking around with everyone having photos taken and, uh, and whatnot. Thoroughly decent guy, happy to chat and talk and crack a joke. Yeah. Really decent guy. Amazing, but a well-deserved point in that one. So next up, we travelled to Port Vale. And the less said about this game, the better. So we lost 1-0 to a David Amu goal. With the only positive to take really was a few good saves by Sam Sargent. At this point, new signing Usise made a substitute debut, while new signing Lawrence Vigoro was on the bench. So obviously, the window was opened. CC uh, came on as a loan signing yeah. from Ginningham. Vigoro came in as a free agent unattached. So it's yeah. some really good business there. Vigoro made a big point of saying he'd only come really, or the selling point for him was Ross. Was Ross Embleton? Yeah. Uh, we're back at home in our next match against playoff placed Northampton Town, who are also in the FA Cup fourth round still. Uh, this game will be remembered partly for two very different halves of football. The first being poor and the second being amazing, <laughs> basically. Uh, the second was probably much more memorable uh, for the melee that took place after Josh Wright equalised from the penalty spot as their defender strangely tussled with Jordan Maguire Drew for the ball after the penalty was scored. James Dayton went to act as peacemaker, but when their man fell back, Dates went over too, looking like he'd shoved their man over. So the ref gave him a red card. And I remember that, because that happened right in front of the south stand, right in front of us. And actually, it was another player who was doing all the pushing and shoving. It was Satorium. Yeah, it was Raw Satorium. And he he didn't go over, so he didn't get get booked. I mean, terrible, but... 
shame, but it did show that the players fight in togetherness and that they had that determination and want to do well. And I think a lot of fans gained a lot more confidence from that second half performance as well. And they could, we could see that there was something here and that we weren't a lost cause. Yeah, really good, really positive. But again, one of those viral <coughs> moments again that only seemed to happen to Orient again. Yeah. The melee kind again went yeah. absolutely mental. So the following Saturday, saw us at home again, this time against Newport County. Before the match, the club announced the renaming of the West of the West Stand as the Justin Edinburgh Stand, with a short naming ceremony with Justin's family taking place. So rumours also started to circulate that coach Danny Webb had been relieved of his duties, and as he wasn't at the game, more fuel to the fire was added. So our South Stand pal James Houghton was mascot for this match too, and he did a sterling job representing the club. Very good. Uh, an entertaining and solid first half from us with plenty of possession without really taking our chances. It took us until the 80th minute to break the deadlock and that was thanks to Marvin Ekpateta, although this was uh, credited as an own goal to Ryan Haynes. And eight minutes later, the game was all but put to bed as form as informed striker. Rule, yeah, he couldn't stop scoring at this point, I remember. He was yeah. everywhere we needed him to be. Informed uh, striker Royal Satoru touched the ball in at the far post from a good Josh Wright cross and Newport pulled a goal back in added time, but it was a mere consolation as the O's ran out 2-1 winners. Yeah, so at this point, Satoru, like I said, is informed. Danny Johnson is at the club as well at this point. So again, new firepower is being added, but at this point, this is really Satoru's time where he starts to shine and you start looking at him on the team sheet and thinking he's probably going to be one of the first names, which three months beforehand was inconceivable, yeah. really. Um, so high-flying crew up next on the following Tuesday night. Not a fixture to get the juices flowing, but kudos to the 164 fans who made the journey. And Ross Embleton told us in his interview on episode 207, which is only six episodes ago, it feels like an absolute lifetime ago, that it was a superb performance. He was stunned how we didn't get anything from the game as we lost the game 2-0. As in the second minute, there was a back pass to Sam Sargent who slipped and Charlie Kirk had the easiest of tappings. And after lots of pressure from us without being able to put the ball in the, met, in the net the game was sealed in the 88th minute as Powell got into the box beat Sam Sargent at his near post and Sam disappointingly got beaten there for the second I think yeah, at that point we all knew that Vigoru was probably going to start being named on the team sheet I would yeah. after that game yeah game where also we weren't clinical enough in both boxes which, which had become a theme of our season although Connor if I remember rightly had a goal disallowed he had a header disallowed for offside that looked to be on I remember Ross was adamant that it was onside but those are the breaks in football absolutely but that loss saw us drop to 20th place as we ended the month having now played 30 games we'd only won 7 we'd drawn 10 and lost a whopping 13 games with a goal difference of minus 12 and 31 points on the board so February the penultimate month of the season but as who it knew? turned out who, who knew, knew at the yeah. time yeah I'm amazed we're smiling and laughing about it now but you got to have me so trip up the M1 was next up and over 1,300 fans made the trip to Stevenage as we convincingly beat the bottom of the table side. I think this game really kind of eased the relegation fears. Yeah. After this, I think the gap was something silly like 15 points. And you knew, based on that performance, that A, Stevenage weren't going to make up the 15 points and that we would be all right if we could keep playing to a certain level. Yeah, and I think that also that was a, a real sort of, they say it's a bit of a cliche, but the big six points of it, if we weren't going to beat Stevenage, then we were going to be involved yeah. in, a, in a relegation fight. Yeah, so there's one change, like we said, Vigoru ended up making his debut in this game and made more than kept a clean sheet. And again, we just spoke about him, but on fire, striker, Mr. Satoria, put us ahead 
uh, in the 19th minute from a tight angle following some good build-up play with Brophy, JMD and Wright. And then just shy of the hour, Mark Cisse scored his first goal for the club as he bundled home the ball from a Josh Wright free kick. And three minutes later, Satoru got his second of the game as he shot from outside the box, beat the Stevenish keeper well. And again, we mentioned it before, Danny Johnson made his debut. So again, at this point, it was really looking encouraging and you could see the signs that we were improving. And fresh we, were, we, we knew we weren't going to get relegated at this point. Yeah, fresh fresh bodies coming into the squad to help yeah. shake things up as well. Macclesfield were up next, the club who were in real trouble as three players left the club in the January transfer window after the EFL agreed to cancel their contracts. I don't think Sol Campbell was their manager at this point either. James Brophy put us ahead in the 75th minute following some neat build-up play and an exquisite defence-splitting through ball from man of the match, Craig Clay. So I'm going to point out Craig Clay was man of the match because we decided the man of the match as we were with AJF Plastering who sponsored the match. And if you remember this one, Adam got lots of flack for he picking did. Craig Clay. Because I don't think Craig Clay should have been man of the match. No, I you think it should have been We yeah. digress massively. So we were win one nil up. But Macclesfield were determined not to leave as losers. <laughs> Great and memory. they scored a late stoppage time equaliser following some decent build-up play and a good finish from Jacob Blythe that stole the three points from Orient. So again, a match, that, a draw was an okay result, but it felt like a bit of a loss coming away from it because we were one up so late into the game. I watched that goal back, by the way, that Craig Clay's pass is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like, just if, if, if people are that interested, like, people who are interested, go and watch that because that is a perfect... Perfect pass. But next up, it's Tuesday night. We were in uh, under the floodlights at home to Mansfield. But we were experiencing the third dugout, which I have to recommend. It's a great... And I'm not being paid commission by the club, or, or we're not being paid commission. We're not, just as an experience, it's a great way to watch the game. Great experience. My memories of that night were uh, how much pizza there was, because yeah. there was loads. One large and, and also how cold it was. Yeah. Remember how freezing it was on the touchline. Really cold, horrible... February night, but the result yeah. wasn't horrible. It really wasn't. I actually thought it was a pretty decent game overall. We played some good football. Lawrence Vigaru needed to be alert to stop Mansfield taking the lead, uh, as I actually thought they had an effort creeping in because where we saw it, great, it effort. was going into that corner, great and save. I was like, oh, it's got... and then all of a sudden I saw this arm come out of nowhere. And bearing in mind, Lawrence Vigaru isn't five foot. You know, he's a good six foot something guy, and he's got down really quickly and and made that palm really count and, and push the ball round the net uh, round the round the post sorry James Dayton though put us ahead on the stroke of half time as the ball was worked out to our right hand side and he used some pretty neat footwork to move closer to goal and struck from a very tight angle uh, and somehow the keeper didn't save that I think the keeper should have saved that Bobby Legnick yeah should have yeah. saved it so at one end Vigaru Vigaru <laughs> makes a great save at one end yep and, and then one does them better yeah. yeah so Matt's will equalise from the corner right in front of us Cissé's man evaded him, but an own goal coming from substitute JMD's cross sealed all three points, which were probably deserved for the O's, which meant we'd done the double over Mansfield. Yeah, yeah. first team I think we'd done that, possibly. Um, anyway, an away day to Cheltenham was up next, and uh, we took the lead in an unusual way as the goalkeeper's clearance, uh, sorry, as the Cheltenham goalkeeper's clearance from a very innocuous back pass yeah. uh, managed to hit Connor Wilkinson's boots. Uh, he was closing the angle down, closing the goalkeeper down, and the ball just flew into the goal. It's one of the most bizarre yeah. goals I've seen, but take it. Doesn't matter how you score. I think Connor needed that goal. I think it had been quite a while since Connor had scored. Yeah. He got injured previously he in the season, injury, and yeah. that was his first goal back in a while, but you take him as you get him, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You never complain about how, 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 it's, how you score. But just a minute later, literally from their kickoff, Cheltenham launched the ball forward, a shot deflected 
managed to deflect over our defence and into the path of Alfie May, who finished well to make it one all. And with time running out, Ruben Reed managed to seal all three points for Cheltenham, beating Joe Widdison, who had been moved to centre-back. Uh, he beat Joe to a cross and headed past Lawrence Figueroa as Cheltenham ended up winning the game 2-1. Yeah, absolutely. So our last game of the month, so I was entertaining Oldham at home. Usise opened the scoring in the 13th minute, although Oldham's Hamer helped the ball into the net, so a great early start, 1-0. But Zach Durney helped himself to two similar goals in two minutes soon after, as we didn't defend corners well enough, giving him two easy tackles as he beat George Marsh to the ball both times. Danny Johnson ensured we got a point, as Josh Wright's free kick to the far post was met by Cisse, who headed back across goal via Wilkinson, and Johnson was there to poach and get his first Orient goal was born over the line. And again, Vigaru made an outstanding reflex save very late on, which ensured we shared a point. I remember us talking about Carl Piergiani, yeah. who, who'd obviously joined on loan from Salford, um, and how well we want, uh, how, about, uh, how, how much we could do with someone like him. He won everything in the air, he wasn't to be beaten, uh, and he'd ended up, I think he'd provided some form of assist or something like that in this, uh, in this game as well. Um, so that league table then at the end of February saw our position uh, as 18th in the league. We'd won, uh, sorry, we'd played 35 games. We'd won just nine of those 35, so just a quarter of our games. Uh, we had drawn uh, a third of our games. We'd drawn 12 games and we'd lost 14. We had a goal difference of minus nine and we were on 39 points. So pretty pivotal that we haven't mentioned that we should have done is that the club appointed Ross Embleton <laughs> on the 6th of January oh, yeah. as a... As a head coach, so well done, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're in February now. So no, coming out of February, yeah, you're right. Into March, the one and only game that was played came to, on Saturday, the seventh of March. Turned out to be the last game of the season against Cambridge United, as we extended our beaten home run to seven matches with a two-one win, thanks to two first-half goals from JMD and Danny Johnson, whose goal came in the fourth minute of added time. So JMD fired us ahead from a tight angle in the 17th minute, and Cambridge United goalkeeper Callum Burton fouled to hold a powerful shot from Dayton, and Johnson pounced on the loose ball to stab home from close range. Cambridge pulled a goal back in the 63rd minute, and it might have been a draw if it hadn't been for Lawrence Vigorous heroics, as he tipped a superb drive from substitute Jack Rolls over the crossbar. Yeah, that was a great save. I remember Vigoro, I mean, he's only played, again, six or seven games, but you can see, like... And he'd not played in a while either. He was having. Mm. So that meant the league table at this point, 17th position, played 36, won 10, drawn 12, lost 14, goal difference of minus 8 and on 42 points. Now we're going to take you back to current day and just go through the key dates now leading this up This is off-season business now. Tonight, yes. off, off the pitch business. Yeah. So Thursday the 12th of March. We're not going to do every single day and what happened on every single uh, second, but just the key key moments uh, from uh, this season. Late in the evening of March the 12th, the EFL released a statement regarding the coronavirus, part of which uh, read in light of today's announcement by the UK government, EFL matches will continue to take place as normal with the guidance from the relevant authorities remains that there is no medical rationale to close or cancel sporting events at this time. I mean, you look back now and you think, <laughs> who is running this? It's amazing. Who is running this government of ours? To read that back, uh, that now, <coughs> in current day, to read that is just bonkers. I think the Charlton Race Festival was going on in that week. It went ahead yeah. because of the local economy being more important. So Friday, people's health. the 13th of March at 10.30 in the morning, the news came that we'd all expected as the EFL announced 
that ill EFL games will be postponed until April the 3rd in light of the recent coronavirus outbreak as we all expected it to happen. Moving in uh, to a couple of days forward, in the evening of Sunday the 15th of March, the club announced on social media that there would be a FIFA 20 quarantine tournament for 64 teams, but during the next 24 hours, the event really took off with the tournament increased in size to a 128-team tournament with clubs from England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Turkey, France, USA, Switzerland, Holland, Greece, and as far away as Australia, Austria, Portugal, Spain, Italy, so literally all of Europe, Denmark and Belgium. They all got involved, uh, and I believe Russia as well. Yeah. Uh, they had Locomotive Moscow, yeah, we who we yeah. played first. I don't think any South American teams, or, Af- or Africa, there was a South African team uh, that played, I think, that got involved. I don't think it was the Orlando Pirates or anything like that, but I can't remember. Anyway, um, so yeah, fantastic. Mate, outstanding work by all involved in social media. Some absolutely genius tweets and responses to uh, tweets received by the club. So I've got to say well done to Luke Lambord and Dan Walker. That's how you make an impact down into a new role. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Lambord does one game, gets appointed in February or something, starts in March, he does one game, which is the Cambridge game, and then comes up with this like barnstorming idea, yeah. which helped connect us to some major clubs around the world. You never know what might come off the back of that. There was a great um, tweet by the club where, because Lorient from France entered the tournament and they'd had that Spider-Man meme of the Spider-Mans pointing to each other. <laughs> yeah. to the that was brilliant. Well done. Well done Very good. to those boys. A bit so of light-heartedness in, in, in such a, a dark time. Brilliant. So Tuesday the 17th of March, it was time for the big draw that everybody had been talking about since it was announced. It was the Quarantine Cup first round draw. And it didn't take long for us to come out as our number was pulled out for the, for the second match as it was decided that we would play, be up against Locomotive Moscow. Sam Sargent playing for the O's, but a FIFA champion playing Holy for Locomotive Orient. in Robert uh, Fakrektinov. Well um, done then, Mr. Levy. Only Orient could do a quarantine tournament, get the whole of the football community talking about it, and then draw uh, a pro player. <coughs> See, I think we should have done it just first team players playing. Yeah, yeah but... you Because know, it's not fair, because Sam's not a professional FIFA player. No, but he's, he he's did, good. He did fancy himself. That is also very true. So it was also announced that the quarantine tournament would be raising money via just giving with 75% of the money given to the EFL within 28 days with the remaining 25% split between the EFL's chosen charity Mind and the all-important COVID-19 solidarity response fundraiser by the World Health Organisation. Again, superb work. Can't you know yeah. credit these guys enough for, for the work they've done there especially as no other club had done anything like yeah. this it really shows how good we are with, with some fresh ideas um, and, and you know obviously Luke and Dan had executed on this fantastic and do you know what's also really nice to see is our club's Twitter account being a responsive Twitter account yeah. responding to people's tweets coming in and not just with a sort of corporate type message either it, it, when you read the club's response it looks very human and it as looks it like chatty, bantery type stuff. I mean, obviously there's a time and a place for the, the proper stuff, but actually just to be a little bit human, especially in, in, in the period that we're in at the moment. So very, very commendable. So very Thursday, commendable. the 19th of March, EFL made a further announcement that all league football would be further postponed to at least the 30th of April. And a day later, 20th of March, it was also announced that the end of season Starman Awards has also been postponed. Sadly, yeah. very sadly. Sunday the 22nd of March, the club announced that a member of the first team squad, or members I think it was at the time, had tested positive for the coronavirus, meaning the first team squad would have to enter a further seven days of self-isolation 
following on from the previous seven days in isolation, in line with government advice. It was also time for the quarantine tournament to start. Sam Sargent got the tournament underway as he took control of the O's facing Locomotive Moscow, but <coughs> lost his match 6-3. No shame in that. Unlucky, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Monday the 23rd of March, the club received a £20,000 donation from the Leighton Orient Supporters Club to help aid the club's cash flow during this unique yet challenging period, with the season currently suspended until at least the 30th of April. David Dodd, uh, chairman of the Leighton Orient Supporters Club, said at this difficult time the supporters club are pleased to be able to make a further donation of £20,000 to the O's to help cash flow within Amazing. the Amazing. Love that supporters club. Twenty grand. Superb. Well done to all involved. Considering what they bought for the club, that aerator thing, which was about 10 grand and other bits and pieces that they've done. Just shows you. Just shows you. So in the evening, I think Paul spoke about it earlier, but the club (coughs) announced that a second first team player had tested positive for COVID-19, as you always do. Yes. But Wednesday the 25th of March was one of the most monumental days in this whole (laughs) period. It was a happy 40th birthday to co-host of this fantastic podcast, my South Stand chum, Thank a bearded legend in his own right, the super daddy-o of two <laughs> beautiful daughters, Mr. Stephen Espelm. Thank you, mate. Very odd to spend the 40th, because that was really at the start of lockdown. Lockdown hadn't really started yet. I was yeah. working from home, but there wasn't an official lockdown. Yeah. Um, and got it, because I was well looking forward to a few beers yeah. in Cuckfield. Saturday, 28th of March, Stephen Espelm's 40th postponed it will happen though yeah it, it has to happen. happen it will make we it need will. a night a solid <laughs> proper night out so fr- Friday the 3rd of April the club announced virtually all staff members would be put on a temporary leave of absence via the government's furlough scheme with 80% of their wages up to the cap being fulfilled by the government so again aren't responding really quickly you know, getting the staff on furlough as soon as they could so We've again being very reactive and responsive protect the club and protect the employees' jobs as well. Uh, Monday the 6th of April, new tax year, it was the ultimate quarantine final and 128 teams came down to just two as Wolves representing England and FC Groningen representing another country who I've got no idea. Is it Denmark? Well done. Faced off in the final with Wolves winning the game 2-1 and therefore the competition with over 56 thousand pounds raised incredible I mean that was the amount at that time that might have moved up or down but again 56k with a FIFA tournament from a League 2 club bonkers again massive well done considering there are clubs asking is there room for us sorry we're late to this guys any room for room for one more sort of thing incredible Incredible. well done to everyone once again amazing so Wednesday the 8th of April Eddie Hearn announced that his father and Exos chairman Barry Hearn had suffered a mild heart attack over the previous weekend but he'd been operated on and was recovering. So again, from everyone at Outlook Towers, we wish Barry a very speedy recovery. And subsequently, I think off the back of that, there was a tweet from Eddie saying he was doing okay. He was resting up and doing well. Sunday the 19th of April, in a balmy twist, the O's very own mascot, Theo Wyvern, won the English Mascot Award in a Chilean competition. No idea how this came about. No idea how they picked out on Theo. But well done to Theo. I love it. Again, just when you think it can get any more strange, it does. So moving on to Monday, the 27th of April. Here's to you, Justin Edinburgh. As O's fans all around the world celebrated the one-year anniversary of promotion from the National League. We've done our own podcast. We've done 212. must have been on the 26th of April. So we've done it on the Sunday night. So again, if you haven't listened, I'm sure you have. But if you haven't, we plugged 212 
recollections from everyone who was involved at the club at the time, players, staff, Justin's family, um, bang on, a great podcast, one if you haven't listened to, I would urge you to go back and have a yeah, listen to. it's a great reminisce, great reminisce. That'll be a piece of history in 100 years when we're long gone, and there's two, whatever's going on in 100 years, whether it's a podcast, however media work, however fan media works, that'll be a piece of relevant historical documentation on late night from those who were there and who done it. Yeah, absolutely. Very proud of that one. Wednesday, yeah, absolutely. Wednesday the 29th of April, the club launched a crowdfunding campaign in our response um, in our response to the COVID-19 pandemic to raise a further £100,000 to support Leighton Orient FC. Some pretty decent stuff to bid for, to be yeah. fair. The academy and local NHS trusts uh, were also um, allowing fans to pre-purchase a number. Sorry, the 100 grand was also to benefit yeah. the academy and local NHS trusts. By allowing fans to pre-purchase a number of matchday rewards ahead of the 2021 season, starting from just £10. I think the club managed to raise about £11,000 off the back of this. So a good effort. It's eleven grand that they wouldn't have had yeah. had they not have done it. So a good effort yeah. to everyone there. Every pound matters at the moment. Absolutely. So Wednesday, the 14th of May, the club made world news, and we've spoken about it again with Kent and Nigel. They announced former loan in Spurs and England forward Harry Kane has taken the club's shirt sponsorship for the upcoming 2021 season. The home kit is a thank you to the nation's frontline heroes, whilst Haven House features on the Black Away shirt with Mind Charity featuring on the Braces Third shirt. I mean, what a coup, you know. As Nigel said. Another great move for the club. Well done, Danny, yeah. Well played, Harry, a first. And all three shirts look great. I remember, like, we're very lucky to be in a position we were in with the podcast, but I remember seeing those images about a minute before they were about to go out and us seeing that Braces image and just going, what have you done? Like, you're going to break the, you're going to break social media. Yeah. And it well and truly did. So massive, well played to everyone involved in that. But again, you've got to give kudos to Danny Macklin, who literally has been praised for having the idea, I believe, coming out of the shower. Yeah, as, as it it's a world Yeah, it's an unbelievable sponsorship idea, and also the execution of it as well. The exposure for the club, which is really needed, was fantastic. Again, another way, you know, that's two massive hits this summer. Like the club are going to yeah. struggle next year to get the level of exposure or PR goodness that comes mm. off the back of these. Um, it's a shame. It's just the sponsorship is just for one season, not for for more. You know, a man of Harry's means, he could have done it for a couple of seasons, so that the, the you know the the next year that Haven House and Mind and, and uh, the NHS here is you know, carry on getting a bit a, f- a few more quid so but that might sound me being really picky and really pedantic and sort of bitchy about it it's not unbelievable from Harry unbelievable Amazing. stuff um, yeah and all the shirts look great you know so you ordered all three didn't you I did as soon as I saw them I was like I'm just going to order them yeah I, I like the black one the best I must say yeah that's the black one looks really smart but the braces looks good and the red one if they'd have done the checkered one, like the March pole, get over it. One. You always talk about it, yeah. I'd be all over that. <laughs> all over it. Yeah, and again, you know, if we were doing normal podcasts weekly, we would have got a lot more time, I think, on the kit. We would have done a lot more input onto it, but obviously we were rushing kind of through it to bring it up to present day because we had yeah. so many tweets on the day and so much engagement. It was amazing to see our Twitter feed on that day. So moving on into Monday, the 1st of June, the club announced it was teaming up with the JE3 Foundation for the JE3 mile, which is very simple. All you've got to do is three steps. Well, in these three steps, you've got to run, walk, or cycle for three miles, donate to the JE3 Foundation, 
and then just nominate three others to do the same. Really easy, a great idea. We've both done ours. I've done a run, I think I'm yeah. Tuesday the 2nd of June I think my run was done you've done a cycle I did a 6 mile amazing six mile cycle. and it's still going strong on you know on social media you still see people taking other people in it and I hope it just keeps on going and going some well known footballers involved in that as well absolutely yeah. so again well done to everyone involved with that Tuesday the 2nd of June the club put out its retained list and announced that Matt Harold, James Alabi Dal Gorman and Arthur Janata were all being released as Marvin Ekpateta JB McEnough Royal Satoru and Shadrach OG were all in contract negotiations. Yeah, so obviously we wish Matt Harold, James Alabi, Dal Gorman and Arthur Janata the best for the future. I don't think there'd be many surprises there. No, I think, I think Harold done really well, actually. Yeah. He came in, you know, when he came on, he'd done right, actually. He was kind of different, he's a bit different from Angle. A bit similar to Walkerson at points, but he's a bit of a different player and obviously very different from Johnson and Satori. But obviously, we've got five forwards one's going to go and he was out of contract and I guess as an older member of the group probably no value in him so I think that explains that unless there's someone else about to come in mm. um, Alabi yeah no surprise Gorman was on loan at Newport for the last for the second half of the season seemed to do right there at Newport be interesting when he goes back there and Janata is a young man might make it back into football so I'd be interested to see what happens with Marvin Joby Rule because Rule's been linked quite heavily with Peterborough so yeah. be interested to see what happens there and Shadrach as they were all in contract negotiations but nothing has I been heard I think all since. of them would be foolish to look at the younger boys particularly Ruel, Shadrach I think and Marvin as well I think they'd all be a little bit foolish to be looking that high, that much higher up the pyramid I think Ruel's only played a few games he's shown what quality yeah. he's got I think another season probably two for um, for him Ruel and Shad um, oh, to, to yeah, Shad definitely. Satoru, um, I guess money talks in it. I guess, I guess that'll yeah, be but what, if he jumps too quickly, it. he'll end up being loaned out to some national league club where he's here playing League Two football. So okay. that's that. Yeah, I mean, it's up to him, obviously. Friday the fifth of June, then. Yeah, the club announced that goalkeeping coach Reese Otley and sports scientist Emma Baghurst would be leaving the club. We wish both Reese and Emma best of luck for the future. Absolutely, and thank you for everything you did to help our club. Monday the 8th of June, it was the one year anniversary of the passing of Justin Edinburgh as the footballing world paid its respects to the man who made Leighton Orient National League champions. Yeah, always remembered. I've just gone out all goosebumpy there. Always remembered, never forgotten. Absolutely not. It's so good to see that a year on, he's still so, again, our timeline on that day goes absolutely mental, as it should do. And as it should do on every 8th of June until, you know, we stop the timeline of the yeah. pod but I don't think we ever will so Tuesday the 9th of June in the EFL announced in a statement that League 2 clubs voted by an overwhelming majority to formally end the 2019-20 season finally confirming that the League 2 season is over with the O's finishing in 17th place so League 2 is still playing the playoffs but in terms of Orient season it's done that was Tuesday today's Sunday hence the end of season podcast. So, Mr. Lee, let's get your views on in the season that was. Yeah, um, what a strange season we've had. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? Like Nigel quite rightly pointed out, the first half of the season was really about the Justin, um, you know, dealing with loss, and, and this half of the season has been all about the coronavirus. And again, some people have sadly lost people th- due to the yeah. coronavirus as well. So, condolences t- from us to anybody who has been. Um, you know, impacted in that way. I think Nigel nailed it when he said this season will be remem- remembered for off the pitch more than on it. Rather 100%. on it was just in passing and yeah. COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I didn't realise how tough a season it would be for everyone at the club following Justin's passing. I naively thought we'd be comfortably near the playoffs. Like um, Kent said in our chat, you know, sort of upper mid-table yeah. is where I thought we would be. I thought secret outsiders for a play for the last playoff spot, maybe. Um, just you know, not even taking into account that these guys are going to be grieving. From memory, I think this has had the, had the most ups and downs in an odd way that any season has had. The Carl Fletcher appointment seemed to disrupt us more than I would have, uh, have liked, obviously, and the embarrassment of losing to Molden and Tiptree yeah. was the cherry on the cake of low points for me. We made some decent signings with Cissé and Vigarou, who I hope we re-sign, and Vigarou turned down clubs higher in the league, as you said earlier, than uh, clubs higher in the league pyramid than us. It shows yeah. us we have ambition. Uh, I had high expectations of Wilkinson and Angle, but sadly their seasons weren't what we all hoped for for various reasons. I think fresh starts next season, hopefully we'll get to see them firing us I think Angle was starting to fire and then he got quite a bad injury. injury. And, yeah. and Wilkinson took Similar, over and started yeah. to pick up and then got injured as well. We seem to have suffered quite badly from injuries this season. I don't quite understand why. <clears throat> Special mentions for me, just to end up my my season round, because I think everything's been said so far. Marsh and Brophy, for me, special mention, because they both played out of position, and I thought they both did very well. Craig Clay became a consistent performer, high performer at times as well. Josh Wright, a fan base opinion-splitting sure. player. I thought overall his contribution was excellent, and I thought his work rate at times was first, was first class. Uh, Satorio, Raul Satorio showed what he can do as he took his chance to shine when he got that opportunity. He looked every bit the type of player who we've been missing and for me has a very bright future. And him with Danny Johnson, Liango, Connor Wilkinson, it's going to be tough. They need good pre-seasons to prove that they're... they're and they've also, you think, they've got a good supply line. So you go JMD, Brophy, Dayton, if you Joby. get C say. If you get Joby fit again, Josh Wright possibly, Craig Clay with a through Josh ball. Wright, Craig Clay, yeah, and who knows who will come in as well. You'd expect a few, a few signings. Yeah, good, good points. I mean, for me, I think all in all, it was as good as a season as we could have hoped for, really. Like you said, to lose your boss, your manager, in any role would be tough. But yeah. doing it in football where it's so fast moving and a month later, a month and a half later, you're, well, two months later from the eighth, you know, you're actually playing and you can't not play like you have to do it it must be tougher than what I think most supporters can yeah. can realise I think for some players it was a big step up from National League to Football League I think as fans we probably underestimated how hard League 2 would be and overestimated how good the National League squad was at points I think some players that we thought would excel in League 2 haven't done so as much as what we thought they would yeah. have done um, you know there's no doubt we improved as the season has got on and when the season ended, like we said, we were seven home games unbeaten. So we were starting to get that home form, we were starting to turn around. We'd beaten Stevenage 3 0. When we were losing, now it was by the odd goal. Like Cheltenham, like was 2 1. Like we weren't getting turned over now. It was like the odd goal here and there. Yeah. Um, Vigoru seemed to give us a calmness that we'd been missing. Vigoru, like we said, he only played six or seven games. We mentioned him in four making outstanding saves in the games yeah. that we've done. Massive impact. Cissé was huge since his arrival in the midfield, we've been crying out for. And he seems to give Wright and Clay more confidence on the pitch as well. He bought, he made them better players. And also, he took the pressure off the centre-back pairing as well a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. And so they were calmer and more composed. Yeah, and Walkinson we've covered. They showed glimpses of what they were capable of. So who so knows the goals they scored should not be unden undeniably you know, credited as great goals. Yeah, absolutely. Satoru showed us all what he could do and everyone's talking about him. And, and as Nigel said, Joby McEnough, our captain... 
last season play 21 minutes on the pitch Yeah. so you lose your manager and you lose your captain so very very difficult season Carl Fletcher all I know is that the board interviewed heavily for the role Carl came out on top but credit to the ballers they acted so swiftly now Ross Embleton one of our own the third outlooker <coughs> has his deserved chance to take his club forward and no matter if you like him or not you should all still be rooting for him 100% well. because Spot he is late in all his manager so for me a real solid <coughs> foundation to build on going into next season I'm very um, infused by what Nigel and Kent both had to say with what's going on at the club and what they're doing and you know what their aims are for next season or what they can aim for at this current point in time yeah. so there's lots to be positive about and, agree know. agree with you great, great point about Ross as well you know whether he's your first choice or not um, at the end of the day he's an Orient man he's trying to do his best he's doing his best he's a great coach um, and you've just got to give him a bit of time to, to, yeah. to bed in you, there's no instant success in football you know you're not going to get Jose Mourinho turning up and saying lads I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take you no problem yeah. it just doesn't happen like that so those were our views yeah um, for the final time this season an awful lot of views came in so here's a selection of ones that did come in at Steve Chaplin 4 said best match I saw was Stevenage away admittedly they were poor but a good day out. Would have been happier with a higher place finish, in the, uh, but the standard was definitely higher. Thought Ross was growing into the role with a couple of decent signings. Playoff should be possible. Yeah, good points there from Steve Wilco. 300 felt differently. Total mess. Early on, we didn't recruit for the system we played. Fletcher was a disaster, but Ross and the players stuck together and rescued the situation. That's a great point. They stuck together. Yeah. Reedy QB9 said, surely we would have all taken 17th after the summer we had. Ross deserves huge credit for the job he did, both pre and post Fletcher, which was a total mess, but at least we fixed it quickly. I think Ross can take us forward, and with a good window, uh, we well, I hope we can get Cissé now the Jules let him go. Now, just for the to, I know it's that we're an hour 40 in, but we did ask for Ross to come on. Uh, unfortunately, that's not possible at the moment um, for various different reasons, but unfortunately, uh, we did ask for him. Yeah, hello, FC Chad. This is another good season for Clay, by far our best centre midfielder. Looked even better since Cissé came in. Marsh looked excellent at right back. A quality young player. Rule was excellent since he came into the team. But the player of the year is James Brophy. For me, we'll come on to player of the year in a little while. Yeah, and I just realised I may have made that sound a little bit cryptic and mystical, yeah. but it wasn't intended. Um, it's just from furloughing reasons, isn't it? It's not possible. Alan Rees too woeful for long parts of the season, and the step up for some for some was too much. I still believe we have top attacking talent, but they need to help. Back four and centre mid must be improved. Cissé would be a great addition. I think we all want Cissé to come back. I think that's a yeah. given. Except one or two who I saw on Twitter today saying, no, it okay. didn't, didn't offer much. I am underscore MO says, after the summer, Orient had, I think they'd be more than happy with finishing fifth bottom this year, but they did better. Always going to be hard after losing two free scoring forwards. Good point there. You know, no bond. No Karoma. Yeah. I'm out of the team, yeah. As well goals, isn't it? as Brill retiring being a blow. Aim next season should be playoffs. Hopefully season say signed. Yeah, Dan Alton, 2590, said, even though the season finished prematurely, you could write a book on everything that's gone on. So many ups and downs. After Justin's passing, everyone would have taken 17th and comfortable survival from relegation. Clay was immense towards the end, but Brophy takes player of the year. Yeah, Orient Fan TV says after losing Justin before the season started, it was always going to be a tough one. Thought if the season continued, we could have finished higher. Quite a few impressed. Marsh, Rule, Brophy, and Cissé to name but a few. Optimistic for the upcoming season, that will finish higher. 
Harlow Warren said, Clay Marsh, CC, all very good, but Brophy was player of the season. Brophy for player of the season. Grinsby, Cambridge, Northampton and Stevenage away, great games. 17th okay for the first season back. Uh, Harlow Orient goes on to say, Ross has had a mixed start and after what happened, it was never going to be easy, but I think he will do well going forward. Yeah, Paul underscore LT two pieces. On reflection, I think we did what we had to do given what happened in the summer. We stayed up. It must have been hard for the new players coming in given what Josh Wright said and the emotion in the club. And some found it a real step up back into the league. Yeah, Gorillas1985 said, anything but relegation after the loss of Justin Edinburgh was enough for me. Fletcher was a bit of a debacle, but recovered well with Ross. Confident in Ross to get the right players in and push for the playoffs next season. Cissé, Johnson, Vigaru and Satoru all look good. Good points there. And, yeah. you know, it's those four players, that's the spine almost of the team. So you keep your centre forward and your central defensive midfielder. Yeah, yeah. Boatsy says this was always going to be a roller coaster of a season, especially with the sad passing of adjusting, <coughs> having an impact on and off the field. On the field, we struggled for consistency and the appointment of Carl Fletcher was really just a case of wrong place wrong time for him as we must have appointed him on his coaching ability Ross deserves an enormous amount of credit for taking the job which involved a lot of hurdles to overcome off the field the board has done wonders for communication and deserves credit for the interaction with fans throughout Matty LOFC Evans said anything above the drop zone for me was a good finish Brophy and Ruel have been standout players this season next season we need to tie players down and focus on strengthening across the back four and wings Top half finish would be my aim for next season. I'd be in that same boat. Yeah, same here. Tim Scales, 94. So I think it went as well as we could have hoped for. No other club had to deal with what we have had to. Also lost our two best strikers in the summer and then lost Joby through injury, having just been promoted. Hope Ross stays on. We sign up Hoos and we can build on this. Yeah, dear Stu said, our massive Hoos uh, massively impressed when he joined. Loved JMD, but too inconsistent. Wilco, for me, needs to play on the right. Hugely impressed when he played there. Defo happy with 17th. The season was always going to be a difficult one. Ross grew, grew into the job and is and is the right man. Also, having Joby back is massive. Will be interesting to see who will be number two to Ross next season. Next season, I think we should be pushing for playoffs, and it will be an interesting season with what with a, uh, sorry what with a possible wage yeah, cap. Yeah, lots to obviously clarify yeah. when football returns. So the final word this season goes to Chris Kane underscore 1992 says it was always going to be an odd season after losing Justin in the summer but I think the boys did well yes there were a few poor performances and results but that was always going to happen build in the summer and go again next season bring back Oose would be a great start Ross yeah so those are your views our end of season polls are up next yeah I think we've got to say a massive thank you to everyone for the tweets again this season yeah, so many come in pre-match, post-match. As soon as anything happens with Orient, thanks for all the DMs or the tweets, um, and on Facebook as well and on Instagram. And on it's Insta, yeah. simply amazing how much interaction we get on social media. So as Mr. Levy said, end of season Twitter polls. So, so we ran four yesterday. The results were confirmed. Decent a few turnout. Hours ago, very decent turnout. So yeah. Let's go. Although match of the season uh, didn't really get as many uh, votes I thought it would. So. Nominations for match of the season were Mansfield away 3-2, Grimsby away 4-0, Cambridge away 3-2 and Stevenage away 3-0. Interesting that all the highlighted games were away. away. Yeah, I mean, we, we did think about putting Cheltenham in 
but that was more for the event and the kind of emotion behind the day than the actual performance. Well, that wasn't a bad performance, but there were it was strong ones. Yeah, yeah. Ian Manny, Rene John said did three of the four. Stevenage was good. Grimsby was a decent away day, but Mansfield was the game. I floated back to the hotel <laughs> afterwards, so I had two hundred and six votes for this one. In fourth place was Cambridge away at nine percent. In third, Stevenage away at fifteen percent. Just missing out was Grimsby away at thirty five percent, meaning. The Orient Outlook podcast match of the season with 41% of the vote was Mansfield away. I, w- I would go for that. Just a fact, 2-0 down at half-time. You win the game 3-2 thanks to a 96-minute level winner. Your manager gets dragged off celebrating like a goal. <laughs> I mean, if you were there, like, just sit limbs on the third goal. 100%. Goal. Absolute limbs. Yeah, could have predicted most of these, to be fair. Goal of the season was up next, and nominees are... Yeah, so Josh Wright versus Cheltenham. Again, more for what that meant, I think, than the actual finish. Connor Wilkinson versus Port Vale. That was right in front of us. A superb finish and take from Connor. Curler. James Alabi versus Grimsby, like we've already spoken about. An amazing goal from Alabi to still an amazing performance. And JMD away with his spectacular free kick against Cambridge that actually won the Sky Betley to goal of the month of December as a whole. So, and the underscore homer... So fifth nomination should have been Joe Widowson against Walsall. Best moment of the season. Yeah. yeah. If there were five nominees, that would have gone in. We discussed that one. So after 246 votes in this one, the results were as follows. Yeah. Connor Wilkinson's goal against Port Vale got 11% of the vote. Josh Wright's uh, goal against Cheltenham got 13% of the vote. JMD against Cambridge came second with 30%. And James Alabi, quite rightly so, 46% of the vote uh, so thank you to everybody who voted there and well done to James Alabi I was going to say the last time on this podcast probably Alabi Alabi scores we're on the pitch <laughs> young player of the season up next the nominations for this one were Danny Happy George Marsh JMD and Raul Satori so a bit of a low scoring one with the votes this one 187 votes but the results were as follows JMD only picked up 11% I thought JMD would finish higher then last at 11. Danny Happy and George Marsh both tied competition. at 21%. Yeah, with the overall winner, who we thought would win this one, being Mr. Satoru with 47% of the votes. So almost half so of the vote there. So well done there to Raw Satoru. So the big one coming up now. Yeah, absolutely. Player of the season. And the nominees are James Brophy, Craig Clay, Usise, and Josh Wright. Lots and lots of Twitter debate raging on from the <laughs> time from when we literally posted about player of the season till still going on after the result has yeah. ended. So Les LK52 says, not a contest, has to be the fantastic James Brophy. Yeah, uh, Alexander J. Rose 1 said, how can Cissé be an option only playing a handful of games? JMD for me being extremely biased. The reason Usise was in there, even though he played a short period of time, was because of the impact yeah, that we spoke about earlier, <clears throat> the settling impact that he gave us. He he bought the balance and he was that missing piece that we, we really needed. Yeah, Cookie 241 says JMD is possibly our most talented player, certainly in this league. If he was consistent, he'd be awesome. Unfortunately, at the moment, he's not, but he will be. Rhiannon LOFC said, I've never seen anyone as consistent as Clay in all the 16 years I've been going to Orient. Yeah. This one attracted 633 votes with the results as follows. So Josh Wright came last 7%. Usise in third, 17%. Craig Clay, the runner-up for this one at 19%. But your Orient Out podcast player of the year with 57% of the vote 
is Mr. James Brophy. Well done to James. Well done to all the winners. Thanks to everyone who voted in the Twitter poll. 633 votes, I think, is probably the biggest votes we've had. Again, they just yeah. lasted 24 hours. So, really, really great in there. So, we're also going to do the Orient Outlook podcast hero of the season, which we haven't put to social media because... It's our podcast it's and our we podcast. do these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's pretty unanimous, I think. Yeah. When we spoke about it, we both said the same man. So, we'd like to award this um, to the third Outlooker, the late and right head coach, Ross Embleton, for leading, well, for me, and then you can say what you, if you've got yeah. different, for leading the club through the horrid time of coming out of the passing of Justin, the way he handled himself in that situation, I thought was immense to get the club to where they were. And by the time he left, well, by the time he went back to assistant manager, you know, he's come off the back of those three wins and he'd, he'd settled it. And then to have to go back to interim once Fletcher win and kind of get those players G'd up again and then take the risk of becoming head coach a permanent yeah. and then from what he had done and got Rigoru in the building from Cissé and you could see him you know we weren't a finished article and I'm not saying mm. we were but you could see the improvements were being made yeah. and we were moving in the right direction so for me there's only one hero this season for me. yeah no I agree but just to add on to that as well the fact that Ross stamped his authority on the team by dropping people that you thought were not droppable Josh Coulson for example set out a couple of games as well Josh Wright came off the bench once or twice and those players obviously were not happy about that but they accepted it you know Matt Harold wanted more of a, uh, a feature in this season but he understood that this was the this was how it, how it was, and, and Ross was honest enough. And we're not giving it to Ross because, although he, you know, just because he's a nice guy, it's for, even though he is a really nice guy, it's for everything you've said there and more. And how he's, you know, he's, he's not an experienced coach, but he's a great people guy, and that's what's helped carry us through. And, you know, him dealing with his grief, grief uh, over the loss of Justin as well. So, you know, plus plus many, many more things that we could probably run through. Yeah, absolutely. So, hero of season Ross Embleton so I think it's time for a sponsorship reminder before we end the season so don't forget for the best plastering and rendering prices around visit AJF Plastering on Facebook or at Big Ads LOFC on Twitter for all your plastering and rendering needs so an hour 52 a bit so, of a long one however last season's end of the season podcast was three hours so this in comparison to other in the seasons is absolutely nothing just also want to tag on to the sponsorship reminder the fact that AJF Plastering are working at the moment safely following government advice obviously they're doing obviously a lot of outside work uh, but just want to say thanks to Adam uh, thank you for your sponsorship thank you for your input you've been to quite a few away games you've given us some insight that uh, perhaps we might not have already got because um, obviously we can't really make the away games it's a bit difficult for us um, so thank you for your support thank you for sponsoring us I think it's safe to say from our conversation that it's been a successful one uh, we're delighted to have you uh, as our as our um, as our key sponsor and uh, we look forward to uh, to having you next season all, all, all being well so that is it yes yeah, so that thanks. is truly it for this season for this podcast and this season thanks for joining us for episode 213 so after many ups and downs in the 2019-20 season it comes to an end early two months after the season should have finished but earlier than it should have done it was the emotional season we'd all expected and from the opening game of the season against Cheltenham the comeback against Mansfield the Alabi miss and follow up goal of the season the appointment of Carl Fletcher the FA Cup exit, the second of Carl Fletcher, the appointment of Ross 
the emergence of Ross Saturiu, the home game against Cambridge that turned out to be the last game of the season, FIFA tournaments, Harry Kane sponsored shirts. We've all been through this together and whatever football looks like next season, the Orient family will continue to pull together and the Orient Outlet podcast will continue to bring you all the latest Orient news and content via this wonderful podcast. Yep, so if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe, give our podcast a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn or Stitcher, add us to your favourites and that way you'll have all the podcasts available as soon as we upload them. We're also on all smart speakers, so listening to the podcast is now even easier. And if you've got an older relative, a loved one, a friend or an Orient chum who you think might be interested... Um, pass their fo- uh, grab their phone, uh, download it for them and effectively pass the pod on. We just want to say again, thanks to everyone who's taken the time to listen to us this season. Thanks to all the guests that have come on and given up their Sunday evenings to help us to bring you fresh content, new stuff, new ideas, because we don't just want it to be, it's not about us, it's about the Orient community and obviously to everyone who follows us and engages with us on our social yeah, media I mean, channels. Guests, guests come on, sometimes at quite late notice and we've had Ross, you know, in in podcast hours till gone past midnight, as well as many other people, because the podcast is overrun. We've had Nigel and Kent make time out of their busy schedules from the states again, like tonight at short notice, which have done it's so. Their day over there. Again, thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone who listens, because you know, sometimes the podcast can be a bit longer than what we'd like, but we try and fit as much content in as what we can, and yeah. we appreciate the listeners. And if we weren't getting the huge listening figures that we get, we wouldn't do it. And thanks to everyone who follows us on social media. I think you know having the Twitter accounts and the Facebook accounts and the Instas that we do is simply quite amazing. So thank you to everyone who has listened, interacted and got involved with the podcast. We'll be back with episode 214 in pre-season with all the information and views that you could ever need. We might have a cheeky little interview coming up in the next week for you. Keep your eyes peeled on our social media accounts. And as always, keep calm, have a great summer, stay safe, stay alert and listen to the Orient Outlook podcast. For the final time this season, up the O's.